Have you ever had a double or a lookalike? In the era of social media, having someone that looks like you could just be a fun coincidence. But Laura would have us believe otherwise. In the mythology of these twin strangers, tragedy could befall you if someone sees your double. Worse yet, seeing your own would mark your certain impending death. While the threat of being replaced by such an entity appears to be nothing more than a movie trope, should we all still fear the horrible possibilities of doppelgangers? Welcome to 13 Degrees of Screams, where we watch and dissect your favorite spooky movies. I'm your host, Alex. And Stephanie. And this is a mostly horror podcast. Each season, we'll rank 13 movies on a scariness scale from, you guessed it, 1 to 13. We will uncover the real-life myths and legends that inspire these movies and tell you just how authentic they are. This week, we grow some giant pods in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Steph. Yes. Have you seen this movie before we watch it? For the podcast. No. Nine. Nine. No. Nah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like it? Uh, I liked it better than Doppelganger. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. This is probably like the oldest movie I think we've watched for the show. This one's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. How did you like it? I did enjoy it. I did. Yeah, it was. It was a nice change of pace from mm-hmm. like more modern movies mm-hmm. and this is a, definitely just a sci-fi, straight-up sci-fi yeah. movie. So it was fun. I thought it was pretty good. About halfway through, I got frustrated with it, though. I liked the beginning for the most part. Okay. And about midway, I was getting... Mm. Some of the dialogue, they just I felt like they just kept repeating themselves over. Yeah. And, like, what do you mean? It's this thing. It's this thing. What do you mean? It's the thing. It's the pot. I'm like, okay. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> we know. And that's kind of the problem I have with it. I'll tell you a little bit more in the plot. But also, towards the end, it's just a lot of, like, running, hide, running, hide. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we get it. Like, <laughs> I know. I know you're Everybody not... else is a pod. <laughs> right. I know you're not a fan. If we, if we think back all the way to season two, 30 Days a Night, ah. very similar concept. You were like, no, no. No. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> running away from the enemy. Let's always do that. <laughs> Let's just do it. I mean, what else are they going to do? It just doesn't make a very exciting plot to me. Just yeah. Because it keeps on happening. So then, then they on, run into somebody and they're on. like, well, we'll have to keep running. Yeah. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they could have cut a good 20 minutes from this and yeah. then gotten the same point across. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. But I did like the beginning. It was. That's fair. T- I, the beginning to midway was solid. Beginning to mid and then it was like. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I could see that. Yes. Because like, yeah, to your point, they're running. Hiding, blending in, just kidding. Hiding, blending, just kidding. <laughs> yes. just like, but we have this ranked as a four on the scariness scale. I feel like that checks out. Yeah. It's like kind of gross. Yeah. And it's a little bit disturbing, some of the imagery. A little, honestly. The, when they're growing. Yeah. I was like, oh, no. And when she screamed because of the dog guy. That the, was The dog guy? The, the dog guy. The dog with the fa- do- the guy's dog with face. The human face. Yeah. yeah. Didn't like that. No. So I'm like, like oh, I don't need ha- to think about that. Did like, they like cross pollinate? Like, how did that happen? It said in the notes from a damaged pod, which I'm like, we needed to have a little bit more background that that could happen. Right. Because that was the only weird anomaly. <laughs> right. That we saw. Everyone else was just people. Yeah. It was just people. Mm hmm. Ready to dive into some movie background? Yeah, go for it. 
Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a 1978 American science fiction horror film directed by Philip Kaufman and starring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Veronica Cartwright, Jeff Goldblum, and Leonard Nimoy. Who's Leonard Nimoy? Nimoy. Uh, just, I think he's big in sci-fi stuff. Oh, okay, Mumpy. I think he's Spock. Oh, yes. Him. Okay, got you, got you. But I was more excited about <clears throat> Jeff Goldblum. I didn't know he was in this. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was a complete surprise. Uh, <laughs> he kind of happens, like, out of nowhere in the plot, too. Like, they're like, let's go see my friend David, and then we're also going to meet Jack. Yeah. <laughs> he just happens to be there. And then his part is so, like, random. He has, like, this weird side story with his, like, sister. Or no, his wife. It's his, his wife, wife. Yeah. For whatever reason, he looks too young in this movie to have a wife. So yeah. <laughs> at first I thought it was his sister. Right? <laughs> it's his wife. Yeah. I'm like, you're a little baby. It's weird. Uh, but anyways, always happy to see Jeff Goldblum in a movie. But it was released on December 2nd of 1978, and it is based on the 1955 novel The Body Snatchers by Jack Finney. The novel was previously adapted into the 1956 film of the same name. So this is actually a remake of an older film. Yeah. I didn't think we could go that far back, honestly. <laughs> You're like, no, I ain't doing uh, that. I don't think we could try. <laughs> <laughs> you can't watch a movie after a certain year. It might hurt. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan of black and white? Uh, not too many. <laughs> okay, that's fair. It initially received varied reviews from critics, though its critical reception has significantly improved in subsequent years and has since been hailed as one of the greatest remakes ever, as well as one of the best science fiction horror films of all time. Oh, well, see, I picked right. Of all time. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I didn't really like it, but uh, I, I, I knew it. <laughs> well, I meant I picked the right version. <laughs> oh, no, I think you did. Yeah, I don't know if I... Mentioned it before, but there's two more remakes after this, too. Oh, really? I think one's called The Body Snatchers, and the other one's, like, The Invasion. Mm. has, like, Nicole Kidman. I saw that one, but I didn't realize it was... Tied to this? Yeah. Oh. But, yeah, this movie, was, or this story, should I say, was adapted a bunch of times. Yeah. So, fun thing about it is all the special effects were created live for the camera. So, those are all practical effects. One of the simplest being the scene at the beginning where the pods travel through space... From their dead planet to San Francisco, Kaufman recalled, I found some viscous material in an art store. Unnamed viscous material. I don't know. But he paid $12 for a big vat of it. And what they did was they dropped it into solutions and reversed the film. Oh, interesting. That's how they got that. Like the little little, tendril-y thing. Yeah, the little spermatozoal-looking thing. Yeah, yeah. They they look like something. Yeah, they look like something. But yeah, a lot of the stuff was all practical effects. Neat. Yeah, Uh, I guess that was kind of the way, though. Yeah, at the time. But still impressive. Yes, very much so. The film features a number of cameo appearances. Kevin McCarthy, who played Dr. Miles Bennell in the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, he makes a brief appearance as an old man frantically screaming, they're coming, to passing cars on the street. Oh. The original film's director, Don Siegel, appears as a taxi driver who alerts the police to Matthew and Elizabeth's attempt to flee the city towards the end. Oh, okay. So that's the original director. There are a few more, but those are the notable ones. Neat. So the director encouraged the actors to fill the spaces between dialogue with facial expressions. He particularly singled out the way Adams rolls her eyes in opposite directions while she and Sutherland have dinner as something that a pod person could never and would never do. So they tried to make them seem more human yeah, with their facial expression. Gotcha. On Rotten Tomatoes, the film received a rating of a 93% based on 68 reviews and an average rating of 8.2 out of 10. 
The site's consensus reads, employ gritty camera work and evocative sound effects. Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a powerful remake that expands upon themes and ideas only lightly explored in the original. I didn't write any of this down, but there's a lot of, like, research and, like, papers done on, like, the meaning of it. Anything from, like, the downfall of the hippie movement into more, like, mainstream, like, Mm. 9 to 5 or... Stuff like that. There's a whole bunch of different analyses of this movie. Oh, neat. That we could go on and on about. <laughs> but you could definitely look it up. There's a lot of different meanings of, or, you know, interpretations of the, the story. Conformity. Oh, okay. kind of, I thought it was just kind of your simple, like, your original alien movie or something. Yeah. yeah. I think that was the point. But people were like, no, it's a, it's a, a commentary on being. It's anti-establishment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and conforming to the society. <laughs> so, but there's a, there's a bunch of different theories on, on what the meaning is behind the movie. Oh. <laughs> but there is. I didn't want to note the ending of the original story because it made me laugh. And I wanted to share it. Okay. So unlike the first three film adaptations, which elected for darker, far more dystopian narratives, particularly with the version we watched, the novel contains an optimistic ending with the aliens voluntarily vacating after deciding that they cannot tolerate the type of resistance they see in the main characters. (laughs) They're like, you know what? This is not worth it. Fair. I'm going to leave. And that just made me laugh so hard because I'm like, yeah, fair. Yeah. I understand. I Sometimes also... you go too far and you're like, wow, I really regret doing this. Like, <laughs> Could you just imagine like after they're, they're, you know, out of their pods, you're like, you know. It's too much trouble. Yeah. And then, then the story also leaves behind a small population of these duplicates who are all hunted and killed shortly after. Sure, why not? Like, it just made me, I just the thought of like aliens be like, you know what, never mind. Yeah, Mobby, we'll pass. You were too much for us. Like, I get it. Humans, yeah, they're, they're too much. Yeah. So that's how the story ends. Interesting. And then I think the original movie and book take place in like a small town, whereas this takes place in the city. So that's just another little difference. Oh, okay. But there's a lot of background on this movie, so well, that's fine. There's like the highlights. Yes. You ready for the plot? I am ready for the plot. We open on an alien planet where gelatinous tendrils are traveling to Earth, taking the form of small seed pods with pink flowers. These pink flowers, when they first bloomed, they look like meat. Like lunch meat. Yeah. Like almost like salami. Right. And the pods are so big. Like they look like dog turds. (laughs) (laughs) With the flowers sticking out of it. Like. Yeah, I mean, kind of. They're yeah. huge. I don't know. And then meat, meat petals come yeah. out. I'm like, ooh. No, thank you. Not good. <laughs> On Earth, a laboratory scientist at the San Francisco Health Department, Elizabeth Driscoll, brings a flower home to study. She determines that this flower could be the product of crossbreeding, but there's no mention of it in any of her plant book. She relays this information to her live-in boyfriend, a dentist named Jeffrey. But he's not super considerate, often leaving Elizabeth with the household chores and pays more attention to the basketball game than her. The next morning, she awakens to find her boyfriend cleaning and throwing away debris into a compacting garbage truck. And she's like immediately like, something's up. This boy never does this. No. And wasn't the flower in water next to the bed? Mm -hmm. That's what had fallen? I think so. Yeah. Mm. 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 Interesting. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I saw it when he went to sleep that it was there. But yeah, I, didn't think I, th- about it I think that's what broke. And I'm like, for, my first thought was, why did you put that in your drinking water? Right. But I don't think that was drinking water. I think. She said like something about like, look how it takes root or something. Mm-hmm. So I think she was just like letting it grow in that 
water, which why didn't you put it in soil? But yeah, why would you leave it on your your nightstand? Because I would accidentally drink that in the middle of the night. <laughs> this alien flower, mm, flower, <laughs> yummy, poopy meat flower. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so immediately she's like, "No, this is this ain't right." Which I have to admit, though, like if Charlie just woke up and all of a sudden wanted to meticulously clean the house, I would kind of like let it go for a beat before I would say like, "Oh no, something's wrong." Like, <laughs> you're like, okay, internally you'd be like, "Oh no, something's wrong," but then externally you'll be sipping some lemonade in yeah. the backyard. <laughs> so Elizabeth confides in her friend and colleague Matthew Benell that she's worried something has happened to Jeffrey because he's not acting like himself. Additionally, we see Matthew go to the laundromat where the owner asked him for help because his wife isn't his wife. And he just kind of leaves him there. He's like, I don't know, man. (laughs) Wives don't be wives. I don't know. They just, uh, is there a sinkhole? I don't know. (laughs) Elizabeth meets Matthew for dinner and admits she followed Jeffrey around that day, watching him meet several different people throughout the city that she'd never met before and that they would move around debris. Concerned for her well-being, Matthew convinces her to see his psychiatrist friend, David Kibner, who happens to be promoting a book at their local bookstore. While driving there, a hysterical man jumps in front of their car, warning Elizabeth and Matthew that they're coming as a mob pursues him. This is so fast. I know. Like, one little flower, and then all—well, there's more flowers, but it was, like, overnight, all these people. Yeah, it doesn't take any time. No. He is then killed in a hit and run and surrounded by emotionless onlookers. Oh, boo. He's dead. <laughs> oh, boo. <laughs> oh, boo. Oh, my fucking guy. He's fucking dead. <laughs> yeah, they're just staring at this. They're like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Sometimes that happens. <laughs> when they arrive at the bookstore while Matthew calls the police to report the hit and run, Kibner rationalizes to another woman who's having the same misgivings about her husband as Elizabeth. That it's impossible that her husband isn't her husband. I mean, when you say it out loud. Yeah. That I makes mean, sense. it sounds crazy, but this is where I start to get frustrated in the movie, honestly. At this point, we're in a weird, oh, she's just a hysterical woman at this point. When it comes to anyone that interacts with Elizabeth, everyone's always taking Elizabeth aside and like, poor baby sweetie. Like, <laughs> poor baby boo boo, yeah. <laughs> poor baby boo boo. Like, you're just, you just need some sleep. Sorry, it's okay. Nothing bad is happening. Like, yeah. And they just, like, touch your face, and everyone's like, no, no, honey, it's okay. Yeah. Okay, so even if you say my husband's not my husband, like, even if you took that literally, which you shouldn't, like, that's a cry for help. Yeah. Like, my husband's not my husband. That could be, like, a metaphoric, like, he's not acting himself, mm-hmm. in which that's a problem. Yeah, and I mean, it could be something more rational, like, my husband's abusive rather than... Like, he's an alien. <laughs> right. <laughs> so maybe we should take a little bit more in consideration to what she's saying. And he's like, no, no, it's okay. And he, like, makes her embrace this man that she clearly does not want to touch. No, yeah. <laughs> With it, the, this wife that he was talking to. It's just so weird to me, like, your reaction is to just brush off the person. Mm-hmm. Like, I would, if someone said something crazy like that and, like, they literally meant my husband is not my husband, I'd be like... Tell me more. Yeah. Because he's like, no. If anything, I'd be interested. Right. And what the hell you think. Especially a therapist, you would right. think. But no, he's like, nah, we're good. That's not it. No. Nah. Additionally, we meet Matthew's other friend, Jack Belisek. And he talks over like almost this entire scene. Like as if they gave him all of his script and they're like, just go nuts. Like, <laughs> 
because I was like, man, I can't hear anything that else that they're saying because Jeff Goldblum is being Jeff Goldblum. Oh, right really? Now. I didn't notice that. It like over the uh, Matthew calling the police report and stuff like that, especially it was really hard to hear anything else that was being said because he was just going on and on. Oh, okay. About writing things and like someone criticizing his work. His work, yeah, yeah. But either way. He's an eccentric writer that contacts Matthew when he and his wife, Nancy, discover a hairy, embryonic adult that resembles Jack in the mud spa that they own. I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't a mud spa. Yeah. I I wouldn't put that on the bingo card of things I'd see in a movie. And I also didn't think it was his wife. I thought it was just a girl that he was nice to or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like, he went there regularly. But then it turns out, like, they're together and they run this thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, all right. Yeah, and I'm just so very confused how Jack knows our main characters. Yeah. Like, I'm like, how did you get, are they just buddies? I guess. Would you go to a mud? Not the one that they had. They they weren't weren't cleaning them out after. (laughs) I mean, it's bud. It is bud. Do you really clean up mud? But they were sitting in them naked. How do you clean mud? I don't know. You drain the mud and put more mud in. Put new mud in? Put new mud in. I I feel like, I mean, the mud's going to be dirty as is. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't a very nice looking spa. Nah. It's kind of gross. Yeah. I just I've never been to one, so I don't know. No, I was just I was just not expecting that. <laughs> I was just really thrown off by the mud spa. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely did not foresee that. When Matthew sees the body for himself, he realizes that Elizabeth is in a trouble and goes to warn her. He has to break into the house to avoid dealing with Jeffrey, and when he finds Elizabeth asleep in her room, he sees a semi-formed duplicate of her in the garden right outside. Matthew calls the police, but when they arrive, Jack and Elizabeth's duplicates have disappeared. The hell? Yes. Wait a damn minute. Mm-hmm. And oh, so some of the film work or the cinematography was very weird when they were like in the bedroom. It looked like handheld. Like it looked like a camcorder. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. Some Where it was of just the like, it was... shots changed up it, like the way it was framing it too. Because I swear like when we saw them earlier in the bedroom, her and Jeffrey, there wasn't a garden outside. And then all of a sudden there's. There like this open patio to a garden. Yeah, I don't know. It was like there was like handheld shots and it threw me off. Yeah. It looked like a handy cam. I was very confused. But I thought it was interesting. Hmm, yeah. Elizabeth examines the flower at the health department and determines that they somehow must be involved while Matthew unsuccessfully tries to alert several government agencies. They soon encounter more and more people that are duplicated while children around the city are being taken to also be duplicated. While hiding out in Matthew's apartment, Elizabeth, Matthew, Jack, and Nancy almost experience the same fate when they fall asleep and awaken to find several partially formed duplicates of them that grew from flower pods in the yard. Bro. And this was disgusting. Yeah, they actually showed it. Like, the flower comes out, and then, like, it's almost like a little baby version of them. Mm-hmm. But not, doesn't look like a baby. But it's small, and then it gets bigger. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, continues to form over time, like, in this little sack thing. Yeah. But it was weird watching it come out of the flower because, uh-huh. like, I guess, like, uh-huh. like the bud of the flower was, like, the top of their head. It was and something. then it just kind of, like. It plopped out of there. Yeah. You. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, it was, it was kind of gross. Mm. Like, and then, like, as actually now, too, 
looking back when you said that the flower petals looked meaty or something like that. It was definitely the head, I thought, that looked like meaty. Or the pod or you know what I mean? Like the little base of the flower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Especially yeah. looked like way too meaty for but a flower. <laughs> it was meaty. Fl- I'm telling you, it was meat flower. <laughs> and I didn't know how this worked, like the body snatchers. When I first thought of this movie, I thought like they took over your body. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. They grow your body. Yeah, while you sleep in. Yeah, they like attach to you like these little like hairy threads. Mm-hmm. And then... As they're doing it, you look like you start drying out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw they had like chapped yeah, like lips their and their skin, skin was flaking. To crack. Yeah. Mm. Oh no. Not for me. But was what was weird is so our main character guy Matthew. Mm-hmm. He was like sleeping and then his started to form, but then he woke up and it continued to form. So like it'll still keep growing on its own accord. On its own, yeah. Yeah, which is strange. And then also, it's weird too that like how many of them keep populating too mm-hmm. like at one point in the art <laughs> yeah sorry we're, we're gonna run into jack's duplicate from the mud spa but jack also grew a duplicate in the yard in this case too there was four bodies so that means there's one for jack as well mm-hmm. so that means that there's multiples of jack that just keep on coming <laughs> right to replace whatever one they take out yeah which is odd to me because especially the other one's still around at this point. So there's two there's two Jacks? Yeah, I guess And then so. the real Jack? Mm-hmm. But that, that conflicts with the ending. I don't know. We'll get there when we get there. Yeah. But it's, it's very weird. So basically, these giant flowers grow versions of you. And you get all nasty when you go to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's not pretty. No. <laughs> they destroy the doubles and try to report the bodies to the police, but they realize they've been overtaken by duplicates. The pod people pursue the group, so Jack and Nancy break away to create a distraction and hopefully get help. Matthew and Elizabeth go to hide out at the health department and take speed to stay awake. I was like, oh, they're just taking speed? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just for funsies, why not? Yeah. Jack and Kibner's duplicates ambush and inject them with sedatives because the process happens when you sleep. While Kibner's duplicate explains that the aliens plan to replace humanity with serene, emotionless duplicates. Matthew escapes with Elizabeth after killing Jack's double and locking Kibner's in a freezer. I mean, besides the part where you die, it sounds good. You know, serene, yeah. emotionless society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I can get behind that. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to die. Yeah. But I don't know. like the disintegrating part. That doesn't sound like good to me. No. <laughs> That's not great. I also have eczema. I don't want my skin to get any more dry. I know. <laughs> Look at my, my eyeballs. <laughs> my eyelids, they're all dry. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't need it anymore. <laughs> Matthew and Elizabeth run into Nancy, who has evaded the pod people by hiding her emotions. This works for two seconds until Elizabeth sees a damaged pod mutant of a dog with a human face. <sighs> Like, yeah, I was like, girl, can you just pretend for a second? No, like, every five the, seconds she's like, oh! Which is why I also hate it, too, because she, like, she seemed like our main character. But then by, like, the halfway point when we started to say, like, oh, she's just a poor lady, how hysterical she is, then it becomes more about Matthew and Matthew always having to rescue whatever Elizabeth's doing. And Elizabeth is, like, always in the corner, like, trying to fucking fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, just please let me sleep. That'd be me. I'd be Elizabeth in this story. Honestly, probably yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. Please just let me but sleep. But it's, it's like she just lost her brain halfway through the movie and has, like, no opinions at this point and stuff, so. Ah, uh, yeah, I get to the point. Yeah. 
So the duplicates emit a high-pitched scream to alert each other that there are humans now there. In the chaos, they get separated from Nancy and they hide in a truck that transports them and other plants to Pier 70 where pod people are processing them. They hide near the pier and confess their love to each other. When Matthew sees a ship setting up to go out, he runs to check if they can escape on it, but it's being loaded with pods to send overseas. And I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, duh. They're trying to take over the world. Mm-hmm. Of course they're going to use a ship to send the pods. Right. When he returns to the pier, Elizabeth has fallen asleep <laughs> and disintegrates in his arms. That was kind of disturbing, It though. was messed up. She's just like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, like, she was nothing after, like, two seconds. Yeah. And Elizabeth's duplicate literally, like, just pops out of the bushes next to him. And she's like, hey, it wasn't so bad. Like, you should do it, too. Like, <laughs> I'm totally still Elizabeth. Oh, I yeah. promise. Yeah. For some reason, they want me to notate, too, that. They contain all of their memories. They're just emotionless. Oh, do they now? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So she tries to convince him to sleep and join them, but enraged, he runs off to the warehouse. There he destroys several plants and sets the building on fire, killing many pod people. As the duplicates search for him, he hides under the pier, but they say he can't stay awake forever. That's some, true. Yep. And sometime later, Matthew is walking among the pod people at the health department. Meanwhile, school children are being taken for duplication again, while more pods are being prepared for distribution to other West Coast cities. On the street, Nancy approaches and calls out to Matthew, but he points at her and emits the duplicate's high-pitched scream. Dun, dun, dun! But good for Nancy for I know, really keeping on, keeping on for this whole time. <laughs> She's like, Matthew! <laughs> like, Matthew, they got you! <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought Nancy would have been like, the sole survivor? Yeah, Nancy really lucked out, but also didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, she fucked up. Yeah. Why did she assume that? Right. I don't She's know. like, Matthew! I don't know how she stayed awake all this time. She must have, like, so much speed. Yeah, well, so if you just fall asleep, don't you need to be by a pod for this to happen? Like, couldn't you hunker down somewhere where there's no pod and be okay? I don't know. It, it seems like every time they fall asleep, something happens. So Yeah. It's Which in is the strange. Air. Yeah, I don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. And these, like, again, these pods are huge. Like, you would see them. <laughs> yeah, they're like half my torso. Or, no, they're the length of my torso, mm-hmm. half my body. Yeah. And even when they're tiny, like, when they first see them, you know, in the very beginning of the movie, they're still, like, the size of your hand. Like, yeah. When, how did they get so big all of a sudden? I don't know. But in any case, it sucks to suck. Yeah. Really unfortunate for Nancy. I'm going to say in my brain she survived. She ran. Probably. I mean, it's just probably couldn't just continue her story because she's a dumb woman. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's everything duh. (laughs) And she just kept on hiding. Yeah. That's what you got to do hide. Mm -hmm. Would you like to hear about hive minds? Yeah, I do. Hive minds are a concept that can be found in both fictional and real-world context. In a fiction, hive minds often refer to a collective consciousness or shared mental connection among individuals within a group or species. This concept is commonly portrayed in science fiction, fantasy, and gaming universes. In the context of social insects like bees or ants, a hive mind refers to the collective mental activity expressed through the coordinated behavior of the colony. The actions of individual insects are regarded as comparable to a single mind controlling the behavior of an organism. This collective behavior allows social insects to work together efficiently 
communicate, and perform complex tasks for the benefit of the entire colony. In fictional universes, hive minds can extend beyond insects to include other species or even artificial intelligence. These hive minds often possess unique abilities and characteristics. They may have a centralized consciousness or a distributed network of interconnected minds. Hive minds can exhibit advanced coordination, decision-making, and problem-solving capabilities due to their collective intelligence. The lore surrounding hive minds can vary depending on the specific fictional universe. Some hive minds are depicted as benevolent entities working for the greater good, while others may be portrayed as malevolent or driven by their own agenda. The dynamics and interactions between hive minds and other individuals or factions within the fictional world can create compelling storylines and conflicts. In the real world, the concept of hive minds can be applied metaphorically to describe collective decision-making processes or group dynamics. For example, researchers have drawn parallels between the decision-making processes of bee swarms and the human brain, highlighting the absence of a central planner or decider in both systems. The concept of hive minds can also be explored in social psychology, where it refers to a group mentality or collective identity that influences individual behavior and decision-making within a social group. Hive mentality, also known as mob mentality or herd mentality, refers to the phenomenon where individuals within a group or crowd tend to adopt similar behaviors, thoughts, or emotions. In this state, people may be influenced by the prevailing opinions or actions of the group, often leading to conformity and a loss of individual critical thinking. Critical thinking? What's that? hate that. I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. Help. The factors that contribute to hive mentality can include a stressful situation within the group, intimidating leadership, a tendency for unanimous agreement, a lack of a structured decision-making process, and limited exposure to external perspectives. Signs of hive mentality may include an optimistic disregard for risk, rationalization of dissenting opinions, a belief that the group's moral standards should apply universally, and self-censorship to maintain the status quo. To avoid falling into hive mentality, individuals can employ tools such as critical thinking, independent decision-making, seeking <laughs> diverse perspectives, and being aware of the potential influence of group dynamic. It is important to maintain individuality and consider alternative viewpoints rather than blindly conforming to the group's beliefs or actions. So if you're ever susceptible to cult behavior, yeah. <laughs> this is important. Listen, I don't need groupthink <laughs> to impose my personal beliefs or my morality onto others. Mm -hmm. I'll do that on my own. <laughs> okay. I don't need your groupthink. I'll just do that. Yeah. All right. Do you think – well, no, that's not a stupid question. I was going to say, do you think real high minds exist? But I'm not going <laughs> to – Well, I'll just say that the reason I included it is just because they had a – united goal and they were all just focused on this moving pods getting pods and duplicating yeah. so there was really no other discussion elsewhere uh, uh, rather than just rounding up people and getting more pods right yeah because i had texted you i'm like oh hive mind might be a good example and then as the movie went on i'm like i don't know if they do because it was hard to tell because in theory <laughs> if one of them knows they're human then everyone kind of could hone in on where they're at but it didn't seem like they could but I don't know. But, I mean, they are very uniform in what they're doing, and they yeah. all have the same exact goal. They all think the same. There's no emotion. Yeah. But that's, I that's why I put it as that. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking – when I initially was watching the movie, I thought high mind in the sense they all shared the collective consciousness of each oh, other. yeah. In, like, a you know, an actual, like, high mind. But I don't know if they do. I don't think they do. But they have something very similar. Yeah. I mean, it's still 
like a cult-like behavior, like with like a one united goal, one united perspective and everything like that. So it's not like as intense of sharing one conscious, but like enough that almost as if they do. Yeah. Are they, is this a cult? Would you consider this whole thing once they take over the whole world as one giant cult? Kind of just successful. (laughs) (laughs) This is the most successful cult. All it took was aliens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So would you consider these like really doppelgangers though because once they're duplicated the original in theory dies yeah kind of so is it really a doppelganger at that point or is it just a duplicate because that's different than a doppelganger i don't know like but jack for example though does run around for quite some time with his duplicate out there you Mm -hmm. know doing his own thing so we just don't know what happened to him right but i guess we could just assume that he did wither away at one point yeah so I could say kind of on the spectrum, but not all, not completely, because it's not like the original can continue to coexist mm-hmm. unless you just never sleep. And that's not really possible for yeah. people. So I wonder, yeah, I'm just curious if they could have coexist. Like if I was transformed, well, not, I wasn't transformed, but a pod person of myself grew. We, why couldn't we coexist? Mm-hmm. Does one of us have to wither away? Mm, you know so. what I'm saying? I, I want to know. Yeah, but I would definitely say that they are more malevolent, though, because, like, they don't even give you a chance. They're like, no, goodbye. And then they just, like, throw you into a compactor. So, like, there's no chance for you yeah. coming back. <laughs> Although I did find out in my research, they don't live very long, like the duplicates. Oh. I, I don't remember how long. I think it was maybe even a couple months or a couple years or something like that, which is why they moved to planet to planet because they don't live very long. Oh. So once they kill everything off on that planet, there's nothing to duplicate. That's why they Oh, because they, they love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's their main thing. <laughs> yeah. Or you cannot kill everyone and then you'll always have someone to duplicate. That's true. Right? Just for funsies. Just for fun. I mean, that's how they live. That's how they reproduce. They're like they're like a virus or like a yeah. parasite. Yeah. But it's kind of single-minded, though, too. Like, like how many planets are you going to run out of? Like, I don't know. Yeah. So many questions. Mm-hmm. I want to see more hybrids. Maybe not a dog with a human face, but like, what, what, about, a, what about humans with dog faces <laughs> or dog heads? Oh, I guess that could happen, yeah. That'd be silly. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know more about how that happened. Like, <laughs> oh, they what do don't you mean? Like, it. they were just lying too close together or something when, when it happened? Like, yeah. I don't know. That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> could you imagine being born as a dog with a human face? <laughs> yeah. Bro. Well, could you imagine dying and then realizing that you've been replaced and, like, they thought the best duplicate of yourself? <laughs> it was like, let's just put your face on a dog body. That is good. <laughs> Sorry, Steven. It just seemed right. <laughs> that just works out a lot better for us than than what the original plan was here. You. <laughs> Not really worth it, huh? Well, this dog, though, this dog's got a great bod. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we'll just keep your face. <laughs> Best of both worlds. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show and listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, giving us a five-star rating is super helpful and we always appreciate it. You can find us on social media using 13 Degrees of Screams. This has been 13 Degrees of Screams and we will see you next week. 